You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches looking to help others spread their passion for the game of basketball. Tune in for episodes about anything basketball related, on the court, off the court, and anything in between. We at the After the Timeout podcast would like to take a full timeout to talk about V-Reps basketball. Coaches, do you get frustrated by how some players just cannot seem to learn your offensive system? Are you spending countless hours teaching your offensive system to your team just for them to forget by the next practice? You should check out V-Reps. V-Reps was founded by basketball players and coaches to create tools that make learning plays easily a reality. V-Reps allows coaches to turn their 2D playbook into a 3D interactive video game that players can watch on any mobile device on their own time. Don't just have players watch film, have them live it and control the players so that they have a better, more efficient learning experience. It's free to try. Go to vreps.us to sign up today. On today's episode, we're joined by Mike Reingruber, head basketball coach at Riverside Brookfield High School. Coach, how you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm great, John. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having us. I'm excited to do this. So, Coach, we wanted to kind of introduce a new segment with you. We're calling it the opening tip. Um, just kind of a, a light, fun way to kind of start start the podcast, get get it, get in the groove here. So, we wanted to talk to you about all your summer camp and experiences with like you five-star hoop mountain, um, you know, got a list here, of Wesleyan, Michigan state, um, all these things that you've been doing in the summer Chicago bulls Academy. Um, but what is like a fun or interesting story that came out of one of those experiences in one of those camps? Yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a number of years since I, uh, you know, have worked those camps consistently. I did that a lot more in my, my younger days, but uh, I, I certainly worked a lot of them and had a great time and learned a lot at all of them. Um, but probably the, the, the best story I could tell you, and I think it's a good one, is uh, I think it was the summer of 05, so about 15, 16 years ago now. Uh, I worked at Michigan State camp for a number of years in a row, and uh, it was a really warm summer, really warm couple days that we were there. And one of the traditions of working that Michigan State camp is uh, Coach Izzo would have all the camp coaches at his house after one of the nights, you know, for drinks and pizza and just, you know, hanging out and, and talking ball. And uh, it was a really hot day. And I remember, <laughs> and uh, the power went out. And uh, so, like, we're, we're hanging out at Izzo's house in, in the basement. He's got a nice walkout basement. So it was light and, you know, it was still cool enough. And as, uh, as the night went on, people started leaving, the power was still out. And, uh, you know, finally I look around and I'm one of like three or four people left and uh, probably that whittled down to two or three actually. And the power kicks back on and Izzo's just kind of hanging out and he's like, throws in the, the Elite Eight game against Kentucky um, on his big screen down there. And it was me and I think just two or three other guys. And uh, he kind of breaks down since we sit down there and watch the whole game with him. It was that game. I don't know if you remember where 
Patrick Sparks? Was it a three? Was, you know, was it, was it before mm-hmm. the buzzer? Was it not before the buzzer to send them into, into the final four? And we just sat down there and, and watched the game, just, uh, just the three or four of us, and uh, kind of broke it down play by play for us. So that was a lot of fun. Wow, you can't. <laughs> it paid to stick around for a little bit. Can't beat that story. That's a great one. Yeah. So let's kind of to dig in, you know, this past year, obviously it was crazy for everyone, every guest we've had on for Todd and myself, everybody, you know, but for you, what do you think the biggest effect of this past year will be for high school basketball or, or high school sports in general? Um, You know, uh, injuries because of the quick season, academic changes on the court changes. What do you think will be the biggest impact of this past year? Well, from, you know, luckily we didn't, we didn't hit the in, in injury bug. Um, I think, uh, you know, globally, when we're looking at like the current high school athletes and, and what they're facing, I think from a recruiting standpoint, uh, it's going to be very tough for them with, uh, you know, we're seeing the trickle down with the, the fifth year tra- or the, the tr- unlimited transfers and everybody getting that fifth year. Um, you know, I think it's making it difficult from a recruiting standpoint for obviously the 2021s and then moving down into the you know, 2022s, 2023s, it'll be interesting to see when that levels out. Um, you know, for more than anything, it taught me, I'm, 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 I've always been kind of a, a type A person when pretty laid back otherwise, but with basketball, pretty type A. And um, COVID really taught me a lot of flexibility this year. Uh, taught me the, uh, you know, just, <laughs> you never know what's around the corner. You don't know what to expect and things aren't always going to go as planned. So from that aspect, I think it made me a better coach being a little more flexible and, uh, yeah, I think a lot is still to be determined. I'm glad we're back on the court, and I'm glad uh, you know we're going to get somewhat of a, a normal summer here, and I'm looking forward to it. So I want to talk about how you transitioned into taking over, you know, the program there. Um, you know, a lot of times coaches take over, and they have to rebuild it, right? That's why why the job is open. Um, you kind of took over for a coach that had been there for a long time, and you had been in the system. Um, so how, how do you think that made your challenges different than somebody taking over a program in their, in their first year, like a rebuilding program? Right. Right. So like, I feel, you know, coach McCluskey was awesome to work with. You know, I played for him here at RB and, uh, you know, when he, he left for a few, a few years and when he came back, he, he gave me the opportunity to be his sophomore coach and work really closely with the varsity as an assistant also, and we kind of built the thing together. You know, we both had a you know vision, and um, so I was kind of on that side of it where you know we we were okay, but we when coach came back in in 2001 is when we started, you know, really going in a positive direction consistently. And uh, he gave me a lot of autonomy. He he let me be myself. Uh, he let me handle a lot of things with the program as far as a lot of the administrative tasks, uh, a lot of behind the scenes work that. You know, he just he gave me the autonomy to do, and you know, he made me his his sophomore coach, as you had mentioned. And for 16 years, I was running practices, I was making my own game decisions, I was sitting on the varsity bench, being that uh, you know uh, opinion giver, or, uh, you know suggestion giver. And uh, so I saw it, it was the best of both worlds, and it really allowed me to grow and develop as a coach. And I really uh, you know owe, owe Coach McCluskey a lot for that. And uh, you know, he and I are kind of cut from the same cloth where, you know, he went to RB, he, he, he uh, you know, lives in the community, he taught in the community and, and a very similar, like, you know, I, I 
I went to RB, I bleed blue and white. I, I live here and, uh, you know, he and I both put a lot of, you know, blood, sweat and tears, a lot of time to this program and, and, uh, and helping develop it. And, you know, I just continue to hope to go in that positive direction. All right. So th this is an interesting topic. So Todd and I were also had sophomore, you know, slash JV coaches for a long time. And, you know, we haven't really spoken about this topic with any other coach. Uh, so, you know, we wanted to talk about, you know, take us through your experience as a head sophomore coach. What were the challenges? You know, what makes that level so unique? We, we all three of us know, you know, you, you sometimes lose kids to varsity and then you're pulling up a kid from freshman if somebody gets hurt. It's like the most fluid level there is. And you were still able to win 15 out of 16 conference titles. So just kind of take us through the challenges. Um, you know, what do you attribute to your success? And, and just talk to us a little bit about that level. Yeah, I mean, it is a, a really unique level. I mean, what I tell people all the time, one of the real unique things about the sophomore level is it's really the first time kids get a taste of not playing. You know, you have kids playing through feeder programs and other school teams, they're usually, you know, a starter or, or one of, you know, one of the rotation guys on their school team. And, you know, how we do it on our freshman level, it's A and B. If you don't play in the A game, you're going to get minutes in the B game. And then once you get to the, the sophomore level, that stops. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I have a pretty set seven, eight man rotation. If we have, you know, 14, 15 guys on the team, there's seven, seven dudes that, that weren't, you know, that aren't used to not playing. And uh, so that, that's a challenge and you really have to, you know, coach up the team, you know, the teammanship, I guess you would say the, uh, you know, just being a great teammate. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the big challenges, you know, we're fortunate here at RB, uh, we've got great facilities, great space. So, um, uh, you know, from that aspect, I guess I did transition the first few years of being a sophomore coach, we didn't have the same facilities. So you got to be uh, creative in how you handle practice. Sometimes if you're splitting a court or, or whatever, um, you know, towards the, the back half of that, though, I was lucky and really, uh, you know, one thing that, that we've prided ourselves on as a staff, you know, starting with Coach McCluskey is we really, uh, we do a lot of staff development, we go to a lot of college practices, we, we get out and do a lot of that stuff. And, and I would treat it the same way I would, I would treat the sophomore level like it was the varsity level like it was a college program, um, make the kids feel important that way. And I think that's what best help prepare them uh, for the varsity level. And, and that was my number one goal was, you know, trying to prepare each and every one of the guys from one to 15 uh, for the varsity level, because you never know what's around the corner. You never know who's going to develop. You never know, you know, if that kid's going to grow five or six inches between between sophomore and junior year or, um, you know, or who's going to put the most time in. And you really got to figure those things out as a sophomore coach and and help, uh, help develop all of them because you don't know what, what's next for, for all of them. So, um, you know, I think the competitive aspect and, and really pushing the competitive side of practice and, um, you know, making every drill, every, everything we do, um, there's a winner and a loser. And I think that really helps prepare them for the next level. So kind of to piggyback on that, then you, you, you spent so much time as a, as a sophomore and an assistant how did that help you shape uh, what you look for in an assistant and develop those ideas of when you're, you know, hiring assistants, what you want to see and the characteristics you want to see in them? Sure. You know, I think one of the things <clears throat> I'd like to say I was really good at was making Coach McCluskey's job easier. Um, you know, I think it was something that 
you know, I, I wake up still, obviously, to this day, um, you know, definitely when I was a sophomore coach as well, just waking up every day trying to figure out what, what we can do today to make RB basketball better, what we can do today to, to improve our program. And it could be, you know, simple things like just doing research on, on some shooting drills or, uh, you know, things that we can do in the pro for the program, like, you know, developing some kind of relationship with the feeder system or, um, you know, our junior highs or putting on a clinic or whatever it is. Um, you know, I think those are things I, I want guys that, that are basketball guys that are, um, you know, want to make RV basketball better that, you know, I, I think it's hard to say, like, you know, I've got a lot invested in this, in this program dating back to as a player. Um, I don't think you'll find, you know, it's, it's hard to find at this level, you know, people that might be as passionate as you, but trying to find somebody that as close to as passionate as you are about your program and about making it better. And, um, guys that want to put in the extra time. Like we, we do a lot here. Like it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of high school programs that put a lot of time in and I'd put us up there with, uh, with the amount of time that we put in um, with our players, um, whether it's in conditioning stuff or, you know, obviously in the off season um, with open gyms and, you know, you name it. Um, it's, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of time away from families and you got to have guys that are willing to, to put the time in and, and want to be there and want to work with the kids. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I have a great staff and it's uh, yeah, it's hopefully again, things are trending in the right direction. So. Yeah. And I, th I think that's so important. You, you, it all starts with the staff and the people you put around you. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you, you had mentioned the feeder programs and the junior highs and uh, I, I think that's such an interesting question. Again, something we haven't really hit on with too many other guests. So, you know, you also kind of run or oversee your fifth through eighth grade feeder teams, you know, for coaches out there, how do you kind of go about creating that successful feeder program? You know, what are kind of the keys to starting one and, and, and maintaining that success? Because I think th that feeder program obviously leads to later success. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think if you look at the correlation and the success of our program from when we started the feeder program in 2002, uh, you know, I don't know the exact number, but I want to say it's only from the group that started, you know, in fifth grade, we actually go down to third grade now with, with teams and we have two teams at every grade level kind of trickle up with the amount of games they play. They might play about 20, 25 games as third graders up to 55, 60 games as eighth graders. Uh, the, the correlation with the success that we've had, I think is, uh, is, you know, I, I don't, I, I think you can't, you, you can't argue it. Uh, I think there's only two or three years, maybe four years in there where we didn't win 20 games once that first group that started in fifth grade worked all the way through. So, um, you know, it's definitely been, uh, you know, a, a huge, huge, huge part of our program. Uh, really, I created the program back in 2002, um, Riverside, you know, we have, we get here at RB, we get all of the community of Riverside. We get half of Brookfield. The other half goes to Lyons Township. Uh, we get half of LaGrange Park. The other half goes to Lyons Township. We get a little segment of Broadview. And then we get uh, all of North Riverside, which is a much smaller community compared to, to Brookfield and Riverside. Um, so we, we, those are just the areas that we have to work with. We have three feeder schools, three public feeder schools. We get some kids from some of the privates. Um, but Riverside had a small little community 
and, or a small little kind of like a recreation team that, uh, that played, you know, other communities and stuff. It wasn't a true feeder. And uh, the Brookfield in the Brookfield, North Riverside, the Grange Park, Broadview kids really didn't have anywhere to play. And they would play in their little 10 game junior high season in seventh and eighth grade. And that was it. So our, our roster was, was really dominated by Riverside kids. Um, you know, I mean, if we had 15 kids on the roster, 13, 12 or 13 of them were from Riverside and we were really not really tapping into the other communities just, and it was just based on experience, just based on playing. And um, so I started originally started the feeder program um, if the first year was like a seventh and eighth grade group. And, uh, and then we, you know, moved it down to, to fifth grade. Um, and now it's down to third grade. And uh, we started that for the Brookfield North Riverside, those kids that didn't have a, a, a chance to play. So now we had a group of Riverside kids. We had this other group and, and it was working out well. Um, but the Riverside group, wanted to to start playing with the junior bulldog program which totally get and it, it worked out great to the point where we have two you know the, the their original program is no longer and uh our feeder program uh, has two sometimes three teams on every grade level and the goal was to one keep kids at home we used to lose a lot of a uh, lot of kids from you know our community would go to fenwick or ignatius or uh, nazareth sometimes you know sometimes some of the other local private st joe's um and the goal was get them in our gym from the time they were younger to uh, to develop that relationship with our coaching staff, to develop that uh, relationship with the other players and, and want to be Bulldogs when they're in high school. And I think, you know, we, we rarely will, you know, we do every now and then, but we rarely lose kids from our district uh, to some of those private schools now. And uh, we've done a good job of keeping them home and, and really built depth in our program. Back then, if we lost a kid or two, you know, we were, we were destroyed. And now, you know, if we do, you know, we've got the depth in our program because the amount of players that, uh, that have played so much basketball from the time they were young, uh, has really, uh, has really helped our program. And there's no doubt about it. So, so with that, you said now you're all the way down to third grade. Um, you know, I know this is something me and John have talked about quite a bit of how to go about, I guess I call it tearing the skills down, right. From, top varsity level what you guys are doing to those third those third graders right so so i guess how do you go about uh creating their curriculum for back lack of a better word right we use an educational term to help them progress and be on the path to be successful when they get to your program yeah that's a great question we uh and, and that's exactly what we do is we tier it you know from the amount of games and practices and uh you know, what we expect from, from the coaches at each of those levels, it, it tears up a little bit each year. And, you know, the basics are there as far as, um, you know, we're, we're primarily a motion offense program. So we want to, you know, start with the basics of passing and screening away when they're younger and building that to form five man motion um, by the time they're seventh, eighth grade. Um, you know, we're a man to man program primarily. So, you know, making sure they're, they're teaching the proper man-to-man -man fundamentals starting younger and we don't want our your teams playing any zone um you know as far as like set plays and out of bounds plays and stuff I don't micromanage any of that stuff I don't you know if, if some of these youth coaches that we have are you know I'm really lucky in our feeder program we've had some some great fathers that uh you know have helped out who both have had playing experience at the high school college level or, or some not at all who've also done a great job um, had a lot of former players get involved in it. 
And, uh, you know, it's really been a, a great atmosphere in that way. And these guys are, you know, that are a part of it are, you know, we put clinics on for them, you know, I've meetings throughout the year with them. I put together multiple, uh, coaching guides and coaching books for our program that they adhere to. So, uh, so I think it's just a little bit of everything, but I, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head tiering things in and, and most of what we tier in is just from, you know, a basic offense standpoint and a basic defense standpoint. And, uh, the rest of it, like I said, sets and things like that. I let them do what you want. You know, the, 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 they have the autonomy to do that stuff, but as long as they're teaching the basics of the other stuff, then I think we're, uh, then I think that's very helpful more of the the basic skills that you would need within your concepts as opposed to your your system your system stuff then 100 percent. like I, I mean you know maybe i didn't touch on that enough we uh you know we're a program that prides ourselves on shooting the ball and, and skills and you know i'm one of the those guys that, you know i want players over plays you know i want i want to develop guys that can pass dribble and shoot and it's it's uh you know those guys responsibility to do that and i think they've done a great job of it um you know, if I got guys that, you know, five guys, you know, out there that can pass dribble and shoot, I think we're going to be okay. So, um, you know, it's their, their job. I mean, the reality of it is, and we tell our guys this from the start is, you know, we have, you know, say we have 20 kids uh, per grade level playing. If we have two teams on each, each grade level, we usually keep 10 per team, six, seven, eight, maybe in a really good year, nine of those 20 will actually be varsity players, you know? So, um, you know, if we're really getting and, and, and making sure that, you know, obviously they're trying to develop everybody, but it's, it's not, it's a reality where it's not going to happen for everybody, but the goal is to, to develop all those kids and be, you know, as skilled as possible for sure. All right. So now I want to move into your, your, your summer, your summer shootout here. You got the awesome news. Like, what was it? Beginning, maybe end of May that you could, you actually, you could hold it. Um, it's an, it's an awesome event. Um, I kind of want you to take us through when you when you like first started it, how'd you get it going, and then what it takes to put together an NCA certified event because I, I'm sure a lot of people have no idea the the amount of of different criteria you have to meet in order to to get to get through that and make that go. Yeah, um, you know, if you guys want to help out at all, I can <laughs> use all the help I can get right now. Um, yeah, no, hosting the, the NC live event, it's, it's a great opportunity for our program. And again, like, um, we've really, you know, taken, taken a program that, you know, was there and very average, but I think the summer shootout, um, obviously has helped given our program a little more prestige and, and put ourselves out there a little bit more in our school out there since we started it. Um, I believe this is the ninth, this will be the 19th year would have been year 20, I believe, but obviously last year got shut down. Um, it started out obviously not as a live event. The first one was two years ago, but kind of the history of that, you know, we had at that time, um, you know, coach McCluskey's brother, Bill, uh, was instrumental in running. I don't know if you guys remember the Minuteman shootout. It was at Hinsdale South every year for, for a long time. And, uh, you know, Bill, uh, Bill started that shootout, um, he works for Minuteman um, company. And uh, when, man, I don't even remember the situation, but there was one year Hinsdale South couldn't run it. And it must've been like the summer of 01 or 02 or something like that. And Hinsdale South couldn't run it. And we hosted it at RB. 
And, you know, Coach McCluskey and I were together only for like a year or two at that point. But I'm like, you know, when it was going back to Hinsdale South, we were looking at the calendar and the way it shook out was that first weekend of June, there was really no high school events. So I decided to, okay, let's run this as a fundraiser for our program starting that first weekend of June. We're going to get some teams that can't do it based on the calendar, but at least teams that are done with school can, uh, can jump in at this point. And uh, it started out like 24 teams. All I did was send out a couple mass emails and, and that first couple of years got some really good teams. Um, you know, this, the city wasn't really involved at that point. Um, mostly some of the, the better suburban teams were there. Uh, and, uh, you know, we ran that as a 24 team event for, I don't know, seven, eight years, six, seven, eight years until uh, our field house was built. And then at that point, um, you know, I kind of opened it up to more teams and, and the city teams jumped on. It already had a pretty good reputation and um, some of the, the city powers jumped in at that point. And, uh, you know, it just even obviously helped propel it even more. And to the point where, you know, it got a lot of you know positive publicity and, uh, you know, took us to 2019 where we were able to, to start the, you know, have the first live event and, uh, and yeah, I mean, the, the amount of work that, that goes into it um, behind the scenes is, you know, I've, again, I've got a great staff that, that helps me out with a lot of it. A lot of it is, you know, I, I bear the, the brunt of a lot of the work, but um, thankfully the, with the application process honestly isn't that difficult um, as it would be to run like an AAU sanctioned event, which, um, you know, the IBCA is very helpful with that. Um, the, uh, the, it goes through, you know, basically I apply with the IHSA, the IBCA have, they have kind of a joint um, application, I guess. Hmm. Then after they choose which sites that they want to, to host here in, in the area uh, or in Illinois, then there's like an application you got to fill out with the NFHS. And a lot of it is just kind of figuring out the, the logistical stuff. Um, but it's, it's honestly not crazy compared to you know what i'm familiar with from the aau side of things um yeah so the ihsa and ibca are very helpful with with that process you know luckily we had an established product we had an established shootout that i've been going on and, and getting a lot of um you know had a lot of positive uh, notoriety over the years which which helped us kind of slide into one of those roles the last couple of years and we're very grateful for that so I think to follow up on that, you know, when you talk to college coaches, you know, what's a major or a common theme or skills that they're looking for in players? They may say like, hey, coach, I'm looking for this or I'm looking for this from the player. What's, what's common things that college coaches are looking for besides maybe besides talent, uh, those extra intangibles? Right, right. Obviously, like, I mean, we're the game has evolved and, you know, to a definitely uh, they want everybody to be able to skilled everybody, you know, more and more programs, you see the four and five men stepping out and shooting threes and, and things like that. But I, I think the biggest, um, you know, obviously the difference in levels, I mean, when you're talking college coaches, there's such a huge difference in obviously division one high major down to division three or, or NAIA or whatever, where you know, it's, it's like, how projectable are they? Like how, how, you know, it's every level is a little bigger, stronger and faster. And, um, you know, they want to see guys that project out um, to each level. And um, obviously from the skill standpoint, they, uh, 
they're, you know, they want guys that, that can pass dribble and shoot. You know, they're always asking whenever they call, obviously they're always asking about grades and what kind of kid they are and, you know, how coachable they are, things like that. Um, you know, I'm familiar with, uh, with some, some, some of the college, you know, not some, many of them that come out to the event and things like that. Obviously they're, they're there trying to find that diamond in the rough a little bit, but most of the time they have their targets. They know who they're looking at. Um, but what they're really looking at when they're there is how is this kid uh, conducting themselves in timeouts? How are they, you know, are they, do they, how are they in the huddle? Are they the guy that's standing on the outside of the huddle, just not even caring what the coach says, or are they that leader in the middle of the huddle? listening to coach and then, you know, pumping his teammates up is, or, you know, um, how are they going through warmups? So are they somebody that's just kind of casual and not, you know, you know, just kind of going through it, like whatever, are they competing? Are they a winner? Um, those are all some of the intangible things that, that we're always getting asked and that I'm always getting asked about our players. And then obviously hosting an event like this, uh, they're asking that about other players and, and what we see as well. Um, but it's, it's more than just the skill stuff. It's definitely the intangible stuff and what are they going to bring? Uh, how are they going to help us? Uh, how coachable are they going to be? How hard do they want to work? What kind of attitude do they have? All those things are, you know, play such a, such a major part that, uh, that, you know, sometimes players don't understand and, and, you know, it's probably why the transfer portal is so high right now, but uh the, uh, those are definitely things that they're looking for because I mean, when push comes to shove, they've, they've done their homework on the front end. They, they kind of have their list when they get there and it's just, they're looking at some of that other stuff. All right. So I think you kind of led me into my, my follow-up here with the transfer portal, right? I, I've, we've talked to a lot of coaches, uh, you know, I had some friends in the AAU sector too, of the effect it's kind of having on the recruiting, especially for, this year's kids right the kids are most recently being recruited so what have you been seeing as the effect of some of those transfer portal things you know you hear things in the news some i saw one the other day where one school and then you know didn't didn't put their name on it but they're saying they're just going for transfer portal kids as opposed to high school kids so how have you seen the effect of that uh you know so far this year yeah i uh i mean i kind of touched on it at the very beginning i think but definitely, um, you know, it's trickling down to the, you know, definitely the 2021s have been the most affected. Um, you know, our, at our, in our program in particular, you know, we didn't really have any college level players in the, in the 2021 class. Um, but even the, the couple that we had that were maybe being recruited a little bit, I mean, I was even talking and they were like kind of D3 small school kids, um, talking to some of the coaches there, like at that point, during the season, they didn't know if some of their kids were going to come back and use that fifth year, you know, so it was even trickling down to that level where they're like, we're not really recruiting a ton of guys right now because we have, you know, three or four kids returning from, you know, using a fifth year. And, um, you know, I mean, cause the, I mean, the grand scheme of it, even at that level, you know, I'm a high school guidance counselor here at RB. Most kids aren't finishing college in four years. You know, most kids taking five, six, sometimes six and a half, seven years for kids that get that four-year degree. And so even at these division three schools, you know, kids may have used up their eligibility in four, but they're still there for a fifth and sixth year. So a lot of these schools are having kids come back for, for that extra year because they're in school anyway. So um, it's not like they're using a scholarship and things like that. So it's really even trickled down to that level. Um, which, 
you know, I think it's 2022s are, are going to get hit as well. And, you know, hopefully it starts leveling off after that. But, uh, but right now it's, there's still so much that we, you know, I have a very talented 2022 class here at RB, a couple kids I think can be scholarship kids, definitely a bunch of small school players. And, uh, I wouldn't say recruiting has been real hot right now. Um, you know, from that aspect, I'm not getting a ton of calls. I'm not. Um, so, you know, we really got to do a lot of marketing like crazy, but like, we work for our kids anyway, but I think we got to do even more uh, to, to help those kids out and, and try to find a landing spot. Most definitely. So I, we want to transition out a little bit into your, I guess, planning for the season and your, you know, build, building kind of your program. Uh, I want to talk about scheduling because I always think this is interesting, like scheduling during the season. Obviously, you have games that you got to give back. You have home and homes. You have conference games. But I want to talk about your process a little bit. Like, you know, how do you determine, okay, maybe I need to pull back this year, maybe add some challenge, or are you just a play anybody anywhere guy? Uh, for the most part, I'm a play anywhere, anybody anywhere guy. I, uh, I think building a really strong schedule is only going to help you for – you know, our, our ultimate goals throughout the course of the year are, you know, winning a conference championship and then, you know, advancing as far as possible in the state, in the state tournament. And um, I think the way, the way you do that is building a really strong non-conference schedule. And uh, I think for, for us, we've kind of bounced around. We've been 3A, we've been 4A, we're right on that bubble. Um, you know, we've been shipped out West with some more suburban teams in the past. Most of the time in our sectional, we're, we're in the city um, competing against, you know, some of the west side, near west side, near south side teams. And, uh, you know, so I think you got to take a kind of a look at your, your sectional as well and, and trying to figure out what makes the most sense to, to one, try to hope to hopefully get the best seed you can, but you got to beat some good teams along the way to do that. And then two, you know, what kind of teams are you going to have to play to, to win a regional, to win a sectional? and help and prepare your team for that. I think we're in a great spot here at RB where we are kind of centrally located. And, uh, you know, we have the ability to play all sorts of teams, all, you know, all styles. And, uh, you know, just based in our, our, our little geographic region here, there's, there's so many different styles. And uh, yeah, so like, I mean, you know, for instance, we, we, may, we may need to go into the West side and, and play, you know, Marshall or Westinghouse or, or, you know, somebody like that to, uh, to, to win a regional. Um, so we try to go to events in the city. Some of our non-conference games, we, you know, we play at Marshall in the Martin Luther King Dream Classic. We play at, uh, um, you know, usually many years we play in the Chops, the Chops Billinger shootout that Vince Carter runs in the city. We play in the Team Rose event um, to give our taste, of, our kids a taste of, of some of um, the teams that we may have to, to beat to win a regional or a sectional. Well, and I, I think just for a second, you know, I wanted to hit on you. You may have the most unique conference in the state of Illinois. There's public schools in it. There's private schools in it. There's Catholic schools. There's Christian schools. You know, what, what is it? And it, obviously there's an abundance of schools, period, in it. You know, kind of take us through, you know, just your, your conference alone and, and just playing all these different unique schools. Yeah, I mean, our conference is unique to say the least. Um, you know, we're where we're at. Um, you know, we, it's evolved from when I first started coaching. It was 16 public schools in the same league, and it's now like there's kind of a core that have stuck together. And 
Um, you know, football, the, the, the conference um, has changed because of some football reasons. We're kind of a school that's, that's on an island with 1,600 students surrounded by, you know, all the West Suburban schools out here that have two, three, four, five, you know, thousand students at it. Um, where we really haven't, you know, found the best fit. Um, I think our conference has improved tremendously over the years um, from a basketball standpoint. Um, most recently, I mean, there were some smaller schools, but, you know, two years ago when we had a full season, both Aurora Christian and Timothy Christian were, uh, were playing downstate. Um, when when uh, COVID hit, they were supposed to be, uh, you know, playing in the final four. Um, so, the, so there's some, some pretty competitive teams um, some teams that have definitely given us a run for our money. Um, you know, there are some challenges with it as well. Um, not all the schools have full freshman schedules. Not all the schools have, um, you know, the, the depth in their programs that, that we do at times. So, um, you know, it, it can be a challenge. Is it our best fit? You know, I don't know. Um, but I do try to, you know, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's some pretty good basketball and, and the upper half of the, the divisions definitely have, uh, have some pretty good teams. Um, yeah, it's, a, you know, and then that's, that's another, you know, major reason for us really trying to schedule a, a really strong non-conference schedule as well, because even though I feel like, you know, when we've kind of, you know, been at the top of the league for, for so many years, um, everybody's gunning for you, no matter how, uh, you know, how good or bad or how respected a league is um, when you're playing, um, you know, the, the same teams multiple times and you're the, you're sitting at the top of the mountain, you're going to get everybody's best shot. And, you know, we tell our kids that all the time. And you know, I think that helps uh, in a lot of ways where, you know, we're, we're, we're always getting everybody's best shot and everybody's always gunning for us. And, you know, for some of those teams, it's their Super Bowl to beat RB and, we, uh, we know that, we realize that, we respect that, and uh, you know, we work like heck to, uh, to try to not let them get us, you know? So, um, but I think it's also, you know, another really important reason to, uh, to schedule a super tough non-con because I don't think our conference always gets the, the respect it sometimes deserves. Um, so when we're looking for seeds and, you know, higher seeds and things like that, we do have to knock off some of the other Chicago area teams that may, might be a little more respected. So I just wanted to go in, you know, to summer just very quickly, you know, how do you plan for your summer practices? You know, what are you really looking to get out of them? You know, is it, how different is it from the season? Uh, just kind of take us through how you plan for those summer days. Yeah, I think everybody's kind of got their own philosophies, their own um, ways of approaching those for sure. Uh, we're really big into the skill development side. I want kids getting, you know, hundreds and hundreds of shots up a day. Uh, we're going to do some team stuff. We're going to work on, on some of that stuff. We're going to lift, um, you know, we'll work on maybe some concepts or some things that you know, maybe we want to try out this year. Maybe, maybe I want to see, you know, what this, you know, press looks like or, or this, you know, set or, you know, some of those little things um, that we might try here or there. Um, but for the most of it is, is skill development, skill development, skill development, and just working on that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not putting a lot of sets in, in the summer. I'm not putting out of bounds plays in. If somebody wants to run a better out of bounds play than us in the summer, I'm fine with that. Um, you know, we just want to uh, really work on the skill building portion. Um, 
a lot of it's the team building portion. We like going to team camps and, um, you know, having our guys hang out together and, um, you, you know, just get to learn each other. When you're meshing a, a group of juniors um, that were on the sophomore level the year before, and then a group of seniors that, you know, obviously played together for, you know, some of them since third or fourth grade, um, bringing those guys together, I think is important. I think summer's huge for that. Um, we play a ton of games. We like to play a ton of games and that's really where we get our, you know, our, our, our team, our game experience, our team experience, our full court kind of stuff is save that a lot for, for the games. And we want to play the, the best teams we can possibly play in the summer. Um, you know, we're not going to dodge anybody. We'll play any, like, like you said earlier, we'll play anybody anywhere, anytime. And, uh, I think those are all kind of things that go into, you know, having a successful, you know, November through February, I think the summer is a huge, huge part of that. And I think our formula has worked pretty well. You know, we talk to our guys constantly about, you know, there's, there's some people and, and, you know, I don't know what's right, what's wrong. I know it works for us, but you know, wins and losses in the summer don't mean a lot to, to some coaches and I'm not going to, you know, lose a ton of sleep over a, a win or a loss in the summer, but we're teaching our kids to compete like crazy. And every time they step between those lines, they're competing for a championship. I don't care if it's a, meaningless Monday, six, you know, 6 p.m. game against whoever. Um, that game, they got to treat it like it's a championship. And uh, I think that kind of mentality definitely carries over to the season. So you just mentioned a little bit in your last answer here, but I kind of talk about the team building and leadership aspect of right a, a program and, and any given team. Um, what are some of the tools you use to help your players develop leadership um, you know, build kind of continuity in your program and, and build that team, team concept. Sure. Um, you know, we, I, I don't know if there's any magic tool out there, but I, th I think what's kind of worked for us over the years and, and it starts kind of in the summer. Um, well, I guess it starts in the spring leading up to the summer where I meet with all our kids individually, the returners, the guys that will be juniors then and talk to them first and foremost, you know, plethora of questions, but one of the questions I ask are, who are, who are our leaders? Who would you say are our top two or three leaders? And it, it's pretty amazing how the overwhelming majority always pick the same kids, which, which is, which is, I think a good thing. Um, and then there's sometimes there's some outliers, but when we get into then the, the summer games and, and things like that, I, t I mean, I'm coaching them. I'm working with them, but you know, it's a little different mindset, a little different where we get into a huddle, you know, we get into halftime, something I'll be like, Hey, you know, leaders, you, you guys talk, what do you see out there? Who, you know, what, what's working, what's not working. And I'll have the kids run the huddle of the kids run the halftime speech, you know, and then, then I'll chime in afterwards, but I want them, you know, to, to start talking to each other. There's games where we don't coach at all. Where we'll sit back and, and let the kids handle it and, you know, I think it's, I don't think they should be looking at the bench every single time, you know, every single time down the floor. I mean, we played, you know, five, six years ago now, we played in a sectional championship at, at Morton and, um, you know, luckily we won the game and you couldn't hear anything in that gym. If we were a team that, that the players had to come down and look at the bench every single time down um, to hear what coach was saying, like, there's no way we would have won. Um, so I feel it's important that they, you know, adjust on the fly. If a team throws a press at them, I don't want them looking at me in the summer and say, you know, what should we run? You know, I want them figuring it out. So, um, I think that helps a lot with, with the leadership aspect of it. 
one thing I, I that we do in the uh, in the fall every year that I actually picked this up from uh, Tom Livatino at Loyola, and uh, we call it accountability groups. I can't remember if that's what he called it or not, but I, depending on the amount of players that aren't in a fall sport, you know, we'll have five or six teams of, you know, five guys or so, four or five guys. And I'll have, you know, the quote unquote leaders uh, draft teams basically. And it's all the way down to freshman level guys that are working out with us and they'll draft teams and they will, uh, you know, we hold them accountable, you know, the accountability groups for all sorts of stuff. And we go over it weekly and it has to do with basketball stuff, classroom stuff, um, you know, discipline, anything that you can imagine that go, goes into a program, you know, open gym wins and losses, you know, weight room attendance, all, all the kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> players get positive, negative points throughout the fall. We up, you know, we update it once a week. We go through it with the guys and, uh, and then I step back and I let the leaders, you know, they're the ones that are, are working with their team uh, to make sure if somebody's not holding their weight, they're getting on those guys, they're, they're doing those things, kind of really helps build the culture of, of what's expected. And, you know, over the years, you know, I started that four years ago and it's been, it's been really, really good. You know, we give up awards for all sorts of stuff at the end of that. And the, the winning team, uh, the winning team gets like, we take them out to dinner before an open gym one night and, uh, you know, they really get into it and uh, they compete with each other. There's a lot of trash talking and uh, the draft is always a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, I think those are some things that have helped develop some leadership in our program. And then, you know, you, the older guys, the younger guys see what's going on with that. And then, you know, hopefully just carry the torch. All right. So as we get into our final two segments here, you know, our, our one segment we call 30 second timeout. Todd and I like to joke. It's not like our timeouts around here where there's a referee in your timeout 10 seconds in telling you first horn, let's go. Uh, so it's a loose 30 seconds. It's your platform to talk about anything you want, talk about your program, something you're passionate about, a hobby, an outside organization or charity, a story from the season, anything unique you have in your mind, anything you want to talk about, the floor is yours for 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Um, well, I guess if we're talking from the summer shootout standpoint, you asked kind of when, um, mm -hmm. one of the questions you had asked was when, uh, you know, what was a unique moment? And I really say like, running this shootout for as many years as we did, you know, kind of hit a point in, I don't know what it was, 2010, 11, 12, whatever year it was, uh, Jabari Parker was on the, the cover of Sports Illustrated like a week or two before the shootout. And, uh, you know, Buzz got around the town that, that Jabari was playing in, in the shootout that weekend. And, and I think every little kid and their dad in Riverside and Brookfield flooded our East gym for one of the games. And uh, that's when I really kind of felt like, all right, this, this thing's kind of a big deal. This thing's kind of a big deal. And, uh, you know, I mean, thankfully we've, we've got the great teams and, and programs that, that bring their guys. And uh, that was really a moment right after he was in, on the cover of Sports Illustrated that, uh, that, you know, I felt like we, 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 had, we, we were onto something here. This is something that's pretty good. All right, so our last segment is called Quick Hitters, just kind of rapid-fire questions. Could be basketball, could be whatever. Um, and we'll just kind of throw them at you, and you can answer however you want. All right, so my first one, since your proximity, is your favorite zoo animal. 
This is since my favorite question. Right, I think. Since you're like right in the zoo, essentially, with your school. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw those questions and I was like, is is this because we're by the zoo or is this something they ask everybody? <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I got to go with like two exhibits more than animals, okay. if that's okay. Like when, when we go, I have a seven-year-old son and, you know, so um, we take him to the zoo often and I love the dolphin show. I love uh, getting in there and, and seeing the dolphin show at the zoo. I think that's a lot of fun. And then uh, any of the tropic worlds where you see like the gorillas and monkeys and apes, and they're always doing something funny for the, for the, uh, uh, you know, for the spectators They're It's like, they know they're, they're being watched and they sometimes put on a show. So I would say those two exhibits are, are my favorite. All right. So let's go into, you know, every shootout, obviously, and you mentioned Jabari Parker, every shootout is a good talent every year. Was there one year that just stuck out above and beyond where you looked around and you're like, man, there's a lot of talent here. Yeah. I mean, obviously that Jabari Parker year was, I mean, not, I mean, it was obviously a talented shootout, but just from the pure spectator standpoint, it was, it was really cool to see. And, and just at that point, it was really cool to see all the the kids in the community, the kids that we know like basketball is, you know, they're interested in this, then, you know, if they're, they're taking this in now, these kids are going to go home and hopefully work and aspire to be, you know, like him one day. Um, but I would say the two years ago in the first live event was, um, you know, putting that on was, was way different, obviously, than, uh, than running the normal first weekend of June shootout. There was a lot more that went into it, a lot more uh, talented teams um, that we were able to accommodate based on the format. And uh, I think that was, you know, when you've got, you know, so many big name college coaches in the stands watching, uh, watching guys play. Uh, I thought that was really cool. I thought that was a, a big deal. All right. Next one. You talked about this a little bit earlier, your favorite competitive drill. Man, I've got so many of them. You know, we're, we're a program that we don't, I don't do a lot of the same stuff daily. Like I, I mix it up constantly. And uh, so there's, I mean, that's, you know, we chart wins and losses for everything. So um, I would say probably one that I do a lot teaching full court stuff. Um, we do just like a full court, make it, take a drill. Um, when we're playing, you know, we start in the half court, run whatever action we want to run. Um, and then we're playing full court until somebody scores. And then whatever team scores, you know, it could be two or three team drill. And then whatever team scores, they start on defense. Um, you know, a lot of teams do it, you know, make it, take it. You start on offense. We like to start it on defense. And then that's where we'll throw in, uh, you know, the other teams act. Like if, if we're prepping for another another team, you know, sometimes you get in the rut of, okay, we're running this action over and over again. And, you know, it's not really your kids running it. So it doesn't get super competitive um, if you're doing the scout team stuff. Um, so we incorporated this to, to in, you know, run other teams' actions and still keep it really competitive. Um, and then our guys are running those actions as well. So, so they're, you know, they're used to play. So, you know, from a, from, for a variety of reasons, I, I really like that drill. Um, and, you know, we do just a, a million different, um, I could do a whole podcast on, uh, on all the different competitive shooting drills that we do, um, and, and how we handle that portion of it. So, you know, between, uh, between that one full core drill I just mentioned, and then just all, I mean, I, I just think making shooting competitive in practice is, is super important. All right. Let's go to your escape from basketball, either an activity or a vacation spot or something you do to escape from the game. Um, 
Yeah, I we uh, my wife and I were lucky enough to uh, to buy a cabin on a lake about three years ago, uh, up in the Michigan's UP, up in the Upper Peninsula, middle of nowhere on this lake. Um, that's our escape, you know. That's our that's our summer. You know, we go there in July, and uh, spend most of the month up there, and uh, and just really enjoy our time uh, time up at the lake and uh, sitting on a pontoon boat or fishing boat or going for hike and just just being together as a family and have you know we entertain some friends up there and um that's that's our little getaway all right next one best uh i guess unexpected or maybe underrated food place in that rb area man we've got a lot of them um i'd be you know, not doing my job if i didn't mention uh three restaurants that uh that former players parents or a current players parent but uh you know in, and i'm kind of hitting each community here too so in, in north riverside there's tipsters village pub one of our former players uh fior buccieri uh his his dad owns it great italian food great bar food uh then uh labara in riverside is a place that's got great pizza great italian um one of our current players uh eddie Miletus, his his dad runs that place and then uh, Off-Broadway Pub uh, in Brookfield has probably the best wings, um, some of the best wings and, and kind of known in the Chicago area for having, having some really good wings. And luckily that's only about 50 steps from my house. So um, one, of our, <laughs> one of our former players, uh, uh, Jordan Doms, uh, his father, uh, Rick, owns that place. So um, the place we go to the most that I think is really uh, – a great, uh, great spot um, is a breakfast place in Brookfield, also real close to where I live. Uh, Mary's Morning Mix-Up is a, a place that gets a lot of really positive reviews, and, and that's that's probably our favorite place to go as a family, most consistent place we go as a family. It's a great scouting report right there. Yeah, I, now I'm hungry. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, food, you know, there's there's two things I know, basketball and food. Outside of that, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know much else. So let's finish with your favorite Twitter follow on any, it doesn't even have to be basketball, any topic, your favorite person to follow on Twitter. Um, you know, it is a best, most of what I follow on Twitter is basketball and, there, and there's so many of them out there between different coaches and things, but uh, from the daily content side of things, you know, just always looking to get better and improve. Um, Brian Williams does the, the coaching toolbox. Mm -hmm. And uh, he posts, you know, different videos and clips and things pretty much daily, sometimes multiple times a day, I think. And, uh, you know, definitely picked up some some good stuff along the way from him. And I look forward to, to seeing those tweets uh, every day and, and picking up some drills that way. Well, Coach, we, we so much appreciate your time. I know how busy you are right now heading into your summer planning and, and your shootout and all that. So we appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us. Um, a lot of a lot of good stuff there. I know our listeners will enjoy. Um, you know, we really we really appreciate you having on. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. I uh, I really appreciate it. I had a great time. And if you need anything along the way, uh, feel free to reach out. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Time Out, or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, 
Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast by searching after the timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more basketball content on the court, off the court, and anything in between.